Hi everyone, thanks very much for tuning back in with us this week um, for the special guest interview with Rob. Um, I just want to take a few minutes before we get into that interview just to welcome you in uh, with Andy from Silver FX Sports Limited. Um, they're going to be working really closely with us um, in the in the coming months and in the future with our brand new merchandise store that's just opened online. Um, so we've just brought Andy along um, just to give you a bit of a, a rundown of, of his store and, and, and what you can expect in terms of merchandise and um, I think we've got a little something planned in terms of a, a, a payday giveaway um, in terms of a, like a, a voucher code this weekend. Um, so Andy, thanks very much for joining us today um, for this Hi, chat. James. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, thank you for inviting me on. Um, it's um, obviously something me, me and yourself discussed for a little while now, getting this online shop going. So um, I'm really yeah. pleased it's I'm really pleased it dropped last night. So um, and I know um, we've got some really nice products on there. So we, we try to do a good range of products on there. Obviously, we've got some hoodies, we've got some T-shirts, polos, joggers, some jackets, um, just about anything and everything you can think of, really. But obviously, I want to say to you and to the whole group, if there's anything you feel like you want to add, add on, we can add anything on you need, anything else you want, anything else you think might sell well or anything that people ask for. You know, like yeah. you've got snapbacks, pennants, masks, everything you can. We try to think everything we can, but obviously there's always stuff that other people think might sell well or, or they might yeah. want. Anything like that, we're more than happy to put that on. And obviously all the items can be personalised. Um, we can send it. Uh, we do quite a lot of fan groups now. We're, we're, we're growing, growing more and more. I'm a massive NFL fan myself, so yeah. um, we're, we're doing more and more NFL teams now at the UK, you know, UK fan clubs. We're doing a lot more podcasts and stuff like that. It's really growing. Obviously, it's a, as it's a big passion of mine, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad I can push it through the business. Really, so um, yeah, anything like that, I can, we can, we can change or add on or stuff like that. So yeah, I'm hoping everybody really likes the, likes the, likes the shop. And like I say, we can, we can ship all around the world. Because uh, obviously, um, I know the Seahawks have, have lots of fans all around, all around the world, Europe, you know, we, we ship a lot of stuff to the States, even ship, ship stuff to Australia. So, yeah, anything like that we, we can do, mate. So, um, yeah, so obviously, the if you go to silverfx.co.uk, um, that will click you on, on, that will click you on. And if you go onto that and you go onto NFL fans and then you just scroll down and uh, you find the, the Seahawks UK one, just click on that and it will take you through to the, the shop page and then everything's on there um if anyone's got any queries or any problems or issues or anything like that or just need some some advice on sizing i'm andy at silvereffects.co.uk my personal twitter is aturn07 um you can get the link now to the silver effects one and i'm andy and i'm andy silver effects on instagram so please anyone can hit me up anytime as you know because me and you talk all the time on instagram and stuff yeah. um i'm there to help if anyone needs any advice on anything like that fabric size anything like that um, or just chasing their order, uh, please let me know. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward, really excited about it. And we aim, we tend to aim to get every order out within seven to ten days. You'll get a confirmation email uh, once you've placed it. You can you can you can order and pay any like you do any online any online order, PayPal, your card, credit card, anything like that. You get a, you get a confirmation afterwards, and then, you, and then you'll get a confirmation when the order sent you. But we aimed even though it's not quite easy as normal, obviously with lockdown and stuff like that. So we're, yeah. we're not, we're not really full time at the moment. We are, but we are working and in the warehouse. So we're hoping to get everyone down within seven to 10 days. So that, that's the aim really. So yeah, really looking forward to it, buddy. Yeah. No, really, um, really, really looking forward to this. Obviously it's a massive step forward for our page. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a bit of a mad, um, what are we now, January? So almost coming up to a year since we started the page yeah. now and, um, you know, really didn't ever think we'd, we'd take it this far. Um, so a massive thank you to everyone 
um, who's, who's followed us and liked and and just engaged with us. Yeah. Um, it's it's a community page in in essence. And, yeah. um, you know, we're all about you lot really. Um, so yeah, so that's Silver FX. The link to the online solving the bio of all of our uh, social media pages. So please do if you can. Obviously, you know, don't spend money that you can't. Um, but if if you can and you would and and you would like to, then any any purchases um, would be absolutely brilliant. Would be massively appreciated. Um, can, I, can I just say, James? Sorry, yeah. I've got just to say to you. You didn't touch on it earlier. That um, with that in mind, obviously, um, I I tried to think really that obviously. Uh, money is tough for everybody at the moment. We're all in the same boat, totally. Yeah. Um, so um, I think me and you discussed, like, obviously, traditionally, payday is usually the last week of the month or the last weekend of the month. So what I'm going to do, um, I will, I'm going to do a, a discount code, um, which I will send to you during the week, which you can send out to the guys, um, which basically will give you 25% off the off your order and free shipping. And that's anywhere in the world. Um, that's that's going to start Thursday evening. Uh, six o'clock and that will run through until midnight on Sunday so you've got four days to order your merch obviously you get paid next week and stuff like yeah. that but that'll but not just if, if you can't no worry we will do, run a few different disc, discounts and we might do something on the Super Bowl Sunday something like that we'll try yeah. and be a bit more try and pro, might do something for the draft um, so we're going to try and be you know we're going to work with you and try and be quite proactive in, in doing like we're doing flash sales we're going to do a couple of raffles and stuff like all the things that engage everybody because as you said your team is one big community, but the all NFL UK is one big community. We're all trying to get to look after each other, which Absolutely. you know, which I want to do. So um, we will be doing a few spot prizes during the year. We'll do some raffle prizes and stuff like that. But keep an eye out for more discount codes. Um, I will pass it on to you, but there will be a discount code for this weekend, which I'll hope to get to you in the next couple of days, and so you can let let all your all your members know. But yeah, that's the plan for this Brilliant. week. So yeah, Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for uh, for joining us for these uh, these five minutes, Andy. Um, no, thank you, James. It's uh yeah again really looking forward to this um and like I say if you can buy any of the merch then please do um yeah yeah um so again thanks very much Andy hope thank everyone, you James yeah hope everyone you. enjoys the the episode with Rob um and thanks again for tuning in thanks everyone ladies and gentlemen Seahawks and football fans everywhere welcome back to the We Talk Seahawks podcast thank you very much for joining us today I'm your host James with me today I've got Pez how are you mate good mate thank you good good matt how are you mate very good thanks sounding loud and clear today so new microphone so like it yes sir and and with us today we've got a very special guest he's a bbc bbc sports journalist he's a seahawks expert and all-round lovely fella it is mr rob statton rob how are you mate thanks very much for joining us today i'm great thanks what a lovely uh, introduction as well no uh, it's, ni- it's nice to be called a lovely fella for a change. No problem. Um, so how we do this is we just sort of, um, we have a few topics of discussion um, that we go over. And obviously, with you being our very lovely special guest, our lovely followers have got some questions for you towards the end as well. Um, but we'll start off with, um, I'm quite curious how, how you came about following the Seahawks. Uh, obviously, for me, it was, about 2012 sort of watching youtube and 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 discovering them on the internet and social media everything seems to be on social media nowadays anyway um pez was uh again 2011 2012 going to CenturyLink for the first time with his brother and then matt's just recently over the past few years started following the seahawks as well so 
I'm curious to find out how you started following the Hawks, mate, and, and was there any sort of, was it a game that you went to or was it just on TV? How, how, how did you start following them? So when I finished university, um, I went to live in Vancouver um, and Vancouver's probably about, I don't know, about two or three hours drive from Seattle. Yeah. So um, me, she was my girlfriend at the time. We were now married. We, we went to Seattle and we had a, like a long weekend in Seattle and we went to watch the, the Mariners play. Right. Um, and they lost 10-0 to the Toronto Blue Jays. And anyone who's ever been to sort of CenturyLink or Lumen Field or whatever it's called now or Safeco Field or whatever that's called now, T-Mobile Park or whatever, they're next door to each other. So as we were leaving the baseball game, and I'm not a huge baseball fan, we kind of just went to it because I'll watch any sport. We walked past, as it was known at the time, um, Quest Field. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'd be great to come back and and see an an American football game. Mm. So... I kind of had that at the back of my mind. A few weeks later, we had a chance um, to come back to Seattle. We went, we we made the trip again. We went and watched the Sonics play against the San Antonio Spurs the night before. Then we went and watched um, the Seahawks play the Green Bay Packers on Monday night football. It was, I don't know if you guys remember the game. It was, so we we were talking 15 years ago now. Um, It was snowed. Yeah, snow. It really snowed. It was incredible weather. Freezing cold. Seahawks won the game. I just thought it was incredible. And from that moment onwards, I was kind of hooked. Started following the Seahawks from Vancouver. Then eventually came back to the UK and... um, Ever since then, I've, I've not missed a game, whether it's on a one o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the evening. Um, <laughs> I've, I've watched every game since. There could be some real gruelers over here, can't there? I think we were talking a little bit before we came on air about the 49ers game last year and these 5am finishes that end in losses. There's nothing worse. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's true. And there's been a few times actually when I've not gone to bed and I've just gone straight to work. And yeah. the, the worst example of that was when they lost the Super Bowl to New England. Mm. Um, because I had to actually, I was on a breakfast show for the BBC, um, and my shift started at like what five thirty in the morning, and Oof. I had to do the, I had to do a sports bulletin. So, I, so that ha- that has happened. You know, you've kind of like got to process what has just happened there, and then I had to go and have a shower and go straight to work, no sleep. And then one of the things I had to read out in the sports bulletin was that the New England Patriots had won the Super Bowl. So that was not much fun. <laughs> I mean, did you get through it without any expletives or any swear words, or would you have to kind of restrain yourself in that moment? You know, it was it was weird, and because for like the next sort of two or three days, I think it was a combination of you know being so tired and shocked and disappointed yeah. that it didn't really sort of hit me until I think Wednesday after that game, when I kind of just sat down and made. And my wife doesn't like NFL, um, but I made her sort of sit there and watch sort of how the final drive happened and just had yeah. a massive meltdown about it but it took about three days to get to that point i mean i i can imagine that being the toughest job in the world having to go in at like literally within half an hour of the game finishing to reading out the the score line and pro- i mean because even, <laughs> even after a normal like defeat at that time in the morning or any time of night you, you are just so full of emotion especially with the Seahawks, because it's always a close game and we have many heart attacks every week so it's always a frustrating loss we never just have a we never seem to be able to hold our hands up and just say, oh, yeah, we've got battered today. It's always a close game that we lose or win. Um, so having to, to having to go in uh, half an hour after that interception's happened on the goal line, I, I, I mean, fair play to you, mate. I don't know do, how you did that. I don't know do how know, I would have. 
you know, the worst thing about it was that, you know, I kind of just wanted to talk about it. So when I got to work, like, you know, everybody else was comp- didn't even know the Super Bowl was happening. So, you know, why would you in Sheffield? So, <laughs> yeah, and nobody cared. And like, I just wanted to, I just wanted to talk about what I just watched and there was nobody to talk to about it. So you kind of just sort of stuck on your own. Someone might bring something up completely different to your work related or something that's going on in the region or whatever. Or someone might ask you how the football had gone on that week, you know, the soccer in this country. Yeah. And and for me, I just did not want to have any of those conversations, right? <laughs> the only thing I wanted to talk about was what had just happened in that game. Um, yeah. and it was it was it was tough. It was tough, but it feels like such a long time ago now. Well, I mean, I mean when you think about it now, it's what, like six years now? I mean, it just flies by. But I, even even when because they, they show it every in the run up to every Super Bowl exception, and I still can't watch it. I fast forward it, skip it because it just still hurts too much. Um, so yeah, I don't know how he did that, mate. Um, Matt, if you want to go, mate. Um, yeah, I I had something very similar to that. Just thinking about it, um, last year when we played the Niners at the end of the season, and I remember was it last drive, you see Jacob Hollister stopped on the one yard line. Oh. And I, I remember finishing the end of that game, sort of sitting awake maybe for a, a good hour, just thinking, you know, what could have been. Um, and I, I started work at seven, I think it was. So I had like two hours sleep. Mm. Um, and then my, my boss comes in and goes, oh, so how did the Seahawks get on last night? I was just Too like, soon. Oh, Too soon. Oh, it was a nightmare. That was, um, I, I mean, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't into the sport when when um when the Malcolm Butler interception happened, but mm-hmm. this this was my like that was my Malcolm Butler moment. If that makes <laughs> sense. Similar thing. Ah, uh, that was horrible. No, I could imagine. Like say it was. Uh, I mean, it was just the the gravity of that game, wasn't it? Again, a bit like the Super Bowl, where everything was on the line for us in that game, and just to be to for it to end like that. I mean, it was similar to the the old Rams Super Bowl where they won it on the 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 one yard line with the uh, the stop and. It's 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 the best feeling in the world, and it's the worst feeling in the world. Um, it's it's really a, it's really a dagger in the heart, especially at that time of the, of the morning um, over here. So, uh, Pez, do you want to go, mate? Yeah, you're right, Rob. Yeah, good thanks. Yeah, good. Um, I just wanted to talk about your uh, Seahawks draft blog because myself, I've only just uh, recently found it. My brother's been banging on about you for uh, many a year. He he likes all your stuff. Um, and I was just wondering, uh, why, why did you start it? Like, is there a reason behind why you got into um, doing the blog? So when I came back from um, from Canada, I was going to, I, I, I sort of always wanted to be in journalism. I'd done, you know, I'd, I'd been a football commentator for, for a few years before going to Canada came back and wanted to get into it. Um, and I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do at that point. Um, I was in my early 20s. I didn't know whether I would go into radio or whatever, which is what I ended up going into, or whether it was going to be sort of written and stuff like that. So I needed some. I needed a way to write every day because I think people don't, I don't think people realise that actually writing is one of the hardest things to do. You've mm. got to practice. You've got to, you've got to do it every day if you're going to do it. You've got to find your voice. You've got to learn the ways of, of just writing articles and the and there is only one way to do it and that is just to write every single day and in and you know read everything back and improve and try and work on it so mm-hmm. i just started at, i come back I was, I was just sort of sat at home and it was on an, it was right at the end of the um the 2008 season and the seahawks were going to have the number four overall pick um 
it was Holmgren's last year. They, yeah. they finished four and 12. And there wasn't, and blogs at the time, this is a time before Twitter. This is, you know, there was no Twitter at that point. There was very little social media. What you kind of had was just a whole host of blogs. So at the time, Mike Sando's blog was like the big thing in Seattle. There was something like something called Seahawks Addicts, which was around at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was really where people talked. It wasn't on the forums. It wasn't on Twitter. There was no Seahawks Twitter. It was on those. It was in the comment section of those blogs. So I started a blog that would really all the point of it was, which is to pull what everyone was saying about the draft. So if Mel Kiper did a mock draft, I put it on the blog. If mm-hmm. somebody said this player would be really good for the Seahawks at number four, I would put, I would sort of link to it and say, here's what this person is saying. I didn't really offer any opinions on the draft. I was just sort of, it was a place to come and talk about the off season really. Yeah. Um, and I just, and it just helped me to practice. And then, you know, I did that f- for that year. And then the following year, I-, I was surprised that people were sort of getting involved with it. And it kind of just sort of moved on from there. And, you know, I, I never intended for it to be something that I would do for 12 years as it is now. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, I've never gone into a writing career. I've, I've, I went down, I was in radio, I, I do a bit of TV now. I've never been a writer, but I can't stop writing this blog. It feels like it's always become part of my life. So like, yeah. what I do is I finish my day job and my very patient wife allows me to practically take on a second full-time job writing this blog, which is what it has become, really. It takes up so many hours every day. Uh, but I, I love doing it. It's just it's just become a hobby, really. Yeah, that you kind of answered my next question. I was going to say, how much work goes into it? Does it affect your uh, current job? Because if I'm right in saying you're the uh, sports editor for, uh, is it East Yorkshire and Lincolnshire? Yeah, I've just, I mean, I've kind of I've jumped between that job and I worked for BBC Local TV in Yorkshire um, last year. So um, it does it doesn't get in the way because I you know I do it separately. But what it, what it means is that, you know, if I do like an eight or 10 hour day in my day job, I'd probably spend two, three, four, five hours of my spare time writing this blog. You know, I, I don't, to be, to be fair, I've kind of like, I don't sleep that much. <laughs> I probably have like, <laughs> I've only about six hours sleep. I think it's following the NFL and college football over the years. I've kind of trained myself that I can survive with very little sleep. And, and to be honest, you know, I've never written as much as I have in the last year. And that's because of lockdown. You know, it's not like you can have a social life in the last year. So there wasn't really anything to do and there's not really much to watch. So writing is kind of like just what I do. And, you know, I don't think it, I, don't, I don't think there's many people that could do their full time job and then sit down and craft a 5000 word article in a night. Um, wow. I mean, that's that's just that's <laughs> not, it, it does take some dedication and it is a little bit sadistic that I kind of have done it for this long. Mm-hmm. But I just really enjoy doing it. And I can't imagine not doing it in a way it's kind of just become my part of my life really for 12 years that i do this blog i don't know if i'll do it forever um i I don't know what the future holds in that regard but um right now i yeah it's it's, it it takes hours of my life but i'm I'm happy to do it yeah i uh i can relate to that because it's kind of a bit like uh, i used to be in the military so it's kind of like you just learn you, you get into a routine, don't you? And then that's it. Yeah. That's your routine. Like I've been out now for eight years and I, I live off five, four, four, five hours sleep because I'm a HUV driver. So I start early hours of the morning and my wife just laughs at me. She's like, you're an idiot. Essentially, you're just an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, my wife says very similar things. Enough, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, you, I think it's like a labor of love and, and you just get into it. And like, I'll, I'll go and walk the dog. I'll take the dog out in the evening. 
and I'll be telling myself, I'm not writing tonight, I'm having a night off. Um, and then I'll go and walk the dog, and in the process of just taking this dog on a half an hour walk, a thought pops in my head, and by the time I get home, I'm like rushing to write out what I've thought about. So it's, it's, it's often just that sort of little, little ideas sparking my head, and then I've just got to write it down. You can't hold an idea for, for days and then come back to it. Once it's in your head, you've got to get it out there. So, um, so that also is, I guess, walking the dog is probably one of the other reasons why uh, it, 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 that is a good time to think. And often my thoughts are, are geared towards what is going on with the Seahawks. So um, that's how it works. Uh, um, I was uh, looking through your blog and one of your blogs, what caught my eye, it, it, it kind of links into your YouTube channel, the podcast, kind of like podcast video you do with uh, Robbie Williams. Uh, the American guy. It's not. Yeah, it's not the. It's not the Stoke ball. When I said it to these lads, to these lads, went, "What? He's got the Robbie Williams on there?" I went, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not. It's not the Robbie Williams. But um, it's the why the Seahawks have been sent a message, and it kind of links into uh, that YouTube podcast with him. I, I taken a listen to it yesterday. Um, so with that, with the whole message from Brandon Marshall on Russ, the potential of Russ getting traded, what are your thoughts on that? I'm just interested to see what are your personal... Do you think it'll ever materialise? Do you think it's actually going to... In, like Not this year, obviously, but maybe next year, depending how this offensive coordinated role transpires do you reckon next year we could be in a serious look of russ is going to say i'm out i think we're there. i think we're there now I, I think it's a really serious appointment i don't think that um people realize it, it's one of those things like nobody ever wants to have a conversation like this because if if russell wilson isn't traded it just looks like a you know overly dramatic uh, hot take type of conversation to have and people generally don't want to do those you know unless you're skip bayless or somebody of that ilk, you don't really want to get into these conversations because you kind of feel like you, you're just going down a path that, that nobody wants to go down, really. But I, I, you know, look, sometimes you've got to have an inconvenient conversation. And it's not, I'm not just throwing this out there because I just think, oh, this will get a load of people visiting the blog or anything like that. You know, it's, you just got to look at the evidence of what we have here. We have Pete Carroll making it very clear what he wants the offense to be going forward. Then a week later, Russell Wilson does his own press conference and contradicts pretty much everything that he said in terms of what he wants the offense to be. He wants to be up-tempo. He wants to throw for 60, 50 to 60 touchdowns, he says. You know, he's got a legacy in his mind. He's 33 this year. You know, he, he knows full well that in three years' time, he'll be, on the, he'll be on the downslide of his career. He can say he wants to play until 45 as much as he wants. He will be lucky if he plays to 40. Let's be honest. Yeah, you know, there's not, Seahawks you know, offensive lines he will be here. Uh... Exactly. And look, Philip Rivers is just retired. He's 39. You know, when you get it, to, I think people need to be realistic about what exactly Russell's career is. And that's probably another eight years. And if he goes beyond that, that's it. So he's getting towards the point now where if he wants to be the MVP and if he wants to go and challenge the numbers that, you know, Breeze and Brady have got, you know, they're competing to be like the, the best ever in terms of statistics, then he's got to get into a system that is going to enable him to do that pretty quickly in his career so he's he's got a way of he wants to do things pete's got a way he wants to do things they're appointing an offensive coordinator and this is going to determine so much because mm -hmm. if pete carroll just appoints um you know one of these coaches i mean they, they were talking to wilson the running back coach uh, in las vegas who was with pete carroll for three years in in new england 
and then was with him for one year at USC. And he's a running backs coach. He's never called plays. He hasn't even had an offensive coordinator interview for seven years. If they appoint somebody like that, then what message does that send to Russell Wilson? If they appoint yeah. somebody who is like Joe Lombardi's name has been linked. Now, Joe Lombardi didn't have a very good spell with Detroit as the offensive coordinator. But from Russell Wilson's point of view, he's looked at Drew Brees and he sees himself, I think, as a, as a bit of a breeze in terms of their size and stature. You'll be able to sell that to him. We're going to bring the New Orleans offense to Seattle. You're going to do a lot of the things that Drew Brees has been doing over there. Then that is the kind of thing that might enable Wilson to go, OK, I'm going to give this a chance. But he's very cautious of what his legacy is. And when you see people like Brandon Marshall, who played with Russell Wilson, coming out and saying they've got to get this right, they've got to be, they've got to be careful here, this is a warning for the Seahawks, then you have to listen to that. I mean, it was spelled out by Nick Wright, his co-host. They will have talked off air that this is a brewing story that people need to be aware of, that this appointment and the future of Russell Wilson is going to be tied to how Pete Carroll handles this situation. I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit worried about it because I think yeah. Pete Carroll's looking at it thinking, I've got maybe like three, four years left in my career. There is no way I am ending my career not doing what I want to do. That's, that's sort of his, because he thinks yeah. that he's got a way of doing it and they're going to do it and that's that. He's but, stubborn, stubbornly arrogant. Is my uh, when anyone asks me about Pete Carroll, he's just stubbornly arrogant. He just believes he believes in himself so much that he can't see. He can't even read between the lines. He's last, in my opinion, these last since our last Super Bowl appearance. We might not have regressed as people thought we would, but we are slowly regressing with him still as the head coach, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think the Seahawks are really going anywhere. You know, you can look at 12 and 4, they played the NFC East and the AFC East. You know, next year's schedule is a lot harder. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of games this season that were unnecessarily close. Dallas, New England, uh, Minnesota, San Francisco, Arizona. Everyone you know, but the Jets game. <laughs> everything but the Jets game. So, yeah. you know, if, if, they'd have, if they'd have finished 9 and 7 this year or 10 and 6, it, it was very, very possible and plausible. So, you know, and then they, lose, they got bounced out the wild card round. I think the thing with it is, is that... I just worry that you've, you've got a coach who's on the way out, you know, and he is, you know, within three or four years and he's going to do things his way. And that's coinciding with the exact point where Russell Wilson, really, because you paid him 35 million a year, should be coming the focal point of the team. You should be building around what he wants to get, you know, in the same way that Green Bay is built around trying to get Aaron Rodgers back to a certain MVP level. That's how the Seahawks should be viewing this. And the two things are going to clash. But the, the other side of the story, and sort of go on about this, is kind of like, well, what does Pete Carroll actually want in the last three to four years of his coaching career? Does he want to be breaking in a rookie quarterback? Or does he want to be going out there and trying to win with, you know, Marcus Mariota? Or does he want to stay with Russell Wilson? So I think it's on him to make this situation right. And I actually do think that that's what he's trying to do. I think if he was just going to appoint one of his guys to be the offensive coordinator, it would have been done by now. I yeah. think they are very cautious of and aware of what this situation is. And they're trying to appoint somebody that Wilson can believe in, that Carroll can be comfortable with, that John Schneider can be comfortable with. The only problem is, is there just aren't that many names out there. And I was kind of hoping that they would just be able to convince Doug Peterson to take it, because I think that is someone that John Schneider and Russell Wilson would want. I know that they're saying that he's probably going to take the year off. If I was the Seahawks, I would I would add another zero to the contract and say, (laughs) come and do it. You know, just, just get it done. Because if you do that, then we can go into next season really believing that everyone's on the same page. If they don't do that, then there's going to be that question mark. And maybe next year, Russell Wilson will ask for a trade. But we're in a weird period, guys. You know, Matt Stafford's going to leave Detroit. 
Deshaun Watson is levying to get out of um, of Houston. Mm-hmm. There are quarterbacks who are, who are more prepared these days to say, get me out of here. So we'll see what happens. Just on that, um, it leads on to a question I was going to actually ask you anyway. Um, it, is when you talk about Russ and his legacy. Me and my brother have been speaking this week about this side of the coin and saying, are we noticing more that Russ is putting his personal legacy over the actual team itself? Because he used to always be team first, team first, team first. Whereas these last couple of years, it's like it's like you said about how Pete Carroll says one thing and Russ says the other thing. He said that is is this season to me was a repeat of last season because it was exactly the same after the Green Bay game. Pete said one thing, Russ said the other thing, and that's when like my brother said there and then he said, if it doesn't change in two three years, Russ is gone. And now people are seriously talking about like the potential of him going now. My brother reckons that Rostow this year is putting his personal legacy over the team. His uh, philosophy's changed in himself. What do you reckon on that? Well, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, remember where Russell Wilson was in 2012, 13, 14. He was this guy that people overlooked purely because of his height, because yeah. he was five foot ten. And he was on, when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, his salary was half a million dollars for the season. That's how much his cap hit was mm-hmm. in 2013. So, this was a guy who had a huge chip on his shoulder, had a huge point to prove. Um, he'd been given a chance by the Seahawks, which he was grateful, no doubt grateful for, to start as a third-round rookie who didn't have the physical attributes that many quarterbacks have. So he was always, and he was part of a, you know, a puzzle that included a great defense and Marshawn Lynch, and he was a member of the team. Whereas now, you've got to look at it completely differently. He's on $35 million a year. He used to be the highest-paid player in the NFL until Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson got their new deals. He is regularly talked about as one of the best players of his generation. He's talked about, you know, in in terms like he should be for the MVP. He's very, very um, much a celebrity now. You know, nobody nobody really talks about the height thing anymore. You know, people are more likely to mention the fact that he's married to a superstar or that he's been on a great big talk show, one of the, you know, the, the major worldwide talk shows. Or people are going to talk about things like that. So the, the situation has completely changed for Russell Wilson. He's no longer this guy with a huge chip on his shoulder. He's made it. He's made $160 million in his football career alone on football contracts. So his life has changed. And he is, you know, the separations in the preparation and stuff. And, you know, a football field is, is it this wide and it's this long? You know, all those kind of cliches that used to come out when he was a rookie, he doesn't come out with anymore. Now it's a lot more about legacy, like you say, and, wanting to, to have a say in how the offense is run and how the team, is uh, uh, their, their approach is on offense. And that's a huge change. Definitely. I mean, for me, just on Russ, um, it's interesting to see because with Russ, we always see that and we always talk about one of Russ's biggest sort of plus points is that he never lets anything get to him. He's never, no distractions, nothing. There's always a game that he, he can win. He, he never feels like he's beaten in a game, everything like that. And... There was, I mean, it, it, again, we were talking about this on previous podcasts. It, it depends on how much you want to look into it. But Russ certainly seems to have been a lot more involved in things sort of off the field this year with his podcast and his sort of just, he, he seems to be uh, like growing his like online and like sort of persona a bit more this year. And whether that, I'm interested to see what your opinion is on, do you think there's been sort of external distractions with Russ this year or is it just this sort of, is he just getting sick of, like, say, of, of of the play calling that he's been having to, you know, run with this season, or or are there outside factors that that is starting to seep into Russ's game? 
I don't think there's anything wrong with the stuff that he's doing off the field personally, because, yeah. you know, I do a podcast, you know, and it, we do, and it's, it's about an hour long and I, I've got to be honest, it, it's, it's not, it's not an issue. You know, you, you, I sit down and do the podcast. If I was talking to one of my friends on the phone or my wife in the, in the, in the living room, it would be no different really. You go there, you sit down, you do some talking online. Russell Wilson's not editing that like I do after I've done my podcast. No. You know, Russell Wilson just talks to some famous person or a friend for a little while, and then he gets on with his day. So I don't think the stuff like that, you've also got to remember, he's got a huge entourage of people working for him. So when it's like, oh, Russell Wilson's involved in this product, or Russell Wilson's involved in this scheme, or oh, he's bought a stake in the Sounders or whatever it was, you know? Yeah. There's, there's like a huge army of people who are dealing with that stuff for Russ, and Russ is kind of just getting on with his life and doing what he wants to do. So I don't think that he's, he's spread too thinly. I think what it is, is I think that, I just really think that the the bad, if you want to call it the bad play at the end of last season, was about a complete 360 on the offense. It was a case of you're going to do one thing at the start of the year, which was apply scoreboard pressure and you know throw the ball a lot more on early neutral downs, which they did in fairness carry on doing as the season went on. It's not that they just completely resorted to the running game, but yeah. they were going to be aggressive. They were going to play with tempo. They were going to go for it. And then Pete Carroll, at the first sign, of any kind of trouble was we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you needed to go to that extreme. And from that point onwards, it's just a human nature. If Russell Wilson didn't think they were doing the right thing, and I don't think he did by suddenly, you know, reducing the tempo, trying to slow the game down, trying to win games 17, 14, like Pete Carroll often talks about. I don't think that he believed in that. I think his confidence perhaps took a knock because, you know, he, he was being asked essentially to rein it in. And I think he was, because the coach was telling him, I think he was actually doing what Carol was doing. Don't turn the ball over. Don't take as many chances. Keep things tight. I think that impacted how he played the game. So I, that is really what I think was happening there. And the point that they've got, to, they've got to come up with a balance now. There has to be a way to play football that Russell Wilson can buy into and be 100% invested in. That doesn't necessarily mean that he has to resort to just being, you know, this point guard, middling yeah. quarterback who throws for 25 touchdowns and six interceptions and has 3,000 yards. I mean, I'm not saying that that's necessarily what Carroll wants, but that's kind of the statistics that we were getting in the second half of last season. And if Carroll really wants that, he can't justify paying $35 million a year for a quarterback. He, may, he might as well just trade Russell Wilson, build up his offensive line, build up his defense and go and get Marcus Mariota on whatever he's on $4 million for next year and mm -hmm. have that kind of thing or have a rookie quarterback. Because if you were going to play this way and, 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 and be conservative and not really want to push the boundaries too much, then you can't justify $35 million a year. You can easily justify $35 million a year on one player if they are the focal point of your team. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, I think for me it's 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 the same. I, I haven't really bought into the the off off the field things with Russ. I just think it's Russ. I think there was no sort of coincidence that when I think it was like round about the mid season and and the Buffalo game springs to mind where we just had no running backs available um, and no running game. And again, that's been a sort of a a staple of of the Seahawks over the years under Pete Carroll is the is the running game, the running running the ball first, which is obviously what he's alluded to wanting to go back to. Um, but for me, I think the, the the turnovers that Russ has caused this year were largely in that period where his running backs weren't healthy and 
he was having to throw the ball more and force the ball downfield more. And um, and I think a lot a lot of this sort of and it's not to blame on the fan base because you know when you've got receivers like Ty Lockett, DK Metcalf, and guys like this, you know you want to see them catching 60, 70 yard touchdowns because you, you think, well, why? You know we've got DK Metcalf. Why? Like if he's not catching 60, 70 yard touchdowns just on vertical routes, and then like what's the point in having him? So we were talking about it again in, in other podcasts about this sort of outside pressure from the fan base for, for us to, to throw the ball more because we've got all these weapons now in the passing game that, that Russ hasn't really had apart from, you know, he's, he's always had Doug Baldwin, but then his, his second and third receivers haven't always been as a like as good, whereas like now we've got like genuinely two, three elite standard receivers in, in Lockett, more. Um, Metcalf and and even the the rookies like Freddie Swain and, and guys coming in like that all contribute now. Um, so for me, I just think Russ he just needs to get back to and like I say with with the offensive coordinator how like I said it's so important this year. If we can just start establishing the run game again, because obviously I don't think any pass game is complete without a, a run game first. No offense works without a running game really. Um, so if we can get that back, I don't see why Russ can't sort of perform to the to the highest levels that we've seen him perform again. Um, Pez, I don't, I don't, have you got a question there, mate? No, I, uh, I was just interested that from everything we just spoke about then. Um, who would you rather keep, Rob? Pete or Russ? <laughs> if you had to well, choose right here, right now. You know, it's a really, it's, it's a, whatever, whichever way you answer that, you're going to really annoy a lot of people. And that's, and that's <laughs> the problem, really. You know, I, it, it's, it's it's a it's a question that I kind of would answer if someone asked me, and I I don't really want to be the you know le- labelled as a guy who wants Pete gone or a guy that wants Russell Wilson gone, which is inevitably what happens when you answer a question like that. I just think that for me, it's 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 just become a bit stale. You know, everything's just become. No one's saying that that Pete's a bad coach or that Russell Wilson's a bad quarterback. That's ridiculous. And, you know, there are a whole bunch of teams that um, would love to have Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. But the problem is, is that I don't think you have to hold yourself to the standard of like the Bengals or the Jets or, you know, or the Jaguars or whoever. You know, ultimately what the Seahawks are, you know, they've they've kind of they are what they are now. They have Pete Carroll. They have Russell Wilson. And until anything changes, I, I just don't, you know, I think we're going to keep seeing the same season after season after season. I don't think that they have the ability to make the kind of changes whereby you come back next year and all of a sudden the Seahawks have gone from being, you know, a, a team that loses in the wild card round or loses in the divisional round year after year. And now they're going to be in the NFC Championship or they're going to be in a Super Bowl. I mean, they're one of about five or six teams that haven't been to the NFC Championship since they were last there. I mean, like pretty much everybody in the league, apart from the, you know, the real basket case teams like Detroit yeah. and, and Dallas <laughs> and, and Chicago have, have been to the NFC Championship game and the Seahawks haven't. And I don't really see with the Seahawks in their current form getting back there. And you know what? Part of me kind of thinks you should be prepared to have a refresh. You know, Pete Carroll has been there a decade. Russell Wilson's been here since 2012. Things can't go on forever, you know, and I think with the NFL, I, I don't think this is, it'd be really interesting to see if a team ever just takes this leap and says like, after 10 years, we're just going to, we're just going to refresh everything. We're going to move on from certain, you know, unless you have Mahomes or yeah. Brady or something like that, we're just going to move on. We're going to get what we can for, our, for you know, for the, for our aging players. We're going to, 
see, you know, t- test the wind of, of where the coaching uh, market is. And, you know, if the Seahawks decided next year, heck, we're going to go with, uh, you know, an upcoming bright offensive coordinator. We're going to draft a new quarterback. We're going to, you know, go with a youth movement and try again. Part of me would be kind of quite invigorated by that. You know, uh, you know, it'd be exciting to sort of see where that team would go. And, yeah, you run the risk of being a really bad football team, which is not what we want. But I almost kind of think that that's a little bit more exciting than just having the same season over and over again where you're good enough to get to the playoffs but ultimately you're not good enough to go much further than that. So I kind of see it both ways. I, I, I don't think that the, what I've just said is going to happen at all because the Seahawks are in this holding pattern with ownership whereby Jody Allen is, you know, she's inherited a football team. She's not a, a, a true owner. She's not like Joey Jones. She's not like Shard Khan. She's, she's, she's a placeholder, you know, because of the sad passing of Paul. So yeah. what we're going to have in the next three to five years is the team is going to get bought and that's when things potentially will change. That is presumably when Carroll will retire. Who knows where Russell Wilson is at at that point. Um, you're going to see a new coach. You're going to see a new, a completely new vision, depending on who owns the team. Um, and I think until then, it's probably going to be Pete Carroll. And if he can satisfy Russell Wilson with his coordinator and their plans on offense, then it's going to be Russell Wilson. And we've just got to hope that one of these seasons, they can stay healthy. They can repair that. I agree with what was said just before about the running game, I think they desperately need a stud running back. Someone yeah. who can, you know, not just a decent running back. This isn't the Shanahan offense where they can just plug guys in. They need somebody who's good. They need somebody who can do what Carson could do at his best or what Marshawn Lynch could do. And they've yeah. never really found that guy, despite the fact that, you know, they've passed on Derek Henry and Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb and Alvin Kamara and uh, Jonathan Taylor and Clyde edwards alaire You know, all these great running backs that they could have had and they've passed on. Mm-hmm. Um, if they'd have taken one of them, I think they'd be in a completely different situation. The key now is to make sure that you get the next one, but that's going to be very difficult to do when you've got no draft picks. Absolutely. Um, I mean, for me again, it's sort of, and, and we'll get onto the draft and everything like that. I'm interested to see your thoughts on like the whole pandemic and everything this year, because there's a lot of people saying that you know, making a thing of it being completely different this year, and you and. If whoever wins the Super Bowl, there'll be a you know possibly an asterisk over it, and 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 you can't really evaluate things as you normally would in 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 the sense of the you know the pandemic and no training camps and and reduced sort of practice time and and, and on field time um, and stuff like that. So, do you think it's a not an excuse in a way, but sort of uh, maybe an explanation is is into the way that the Seahawks might have played this year and other teams this year has has COVID. You know, have you seen the impacts of COVID on the Seahawks this year in terms of other years, or is it just sort of a, you know, a little sort of excuse that people can use and 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 sort of make themselves feel a little bit better of how the season's gone? No, I, I don't think that's an excuse. I, I think every every team has faced the same kind of issues. Yeah. You know, and and the Seahawks did a seem to do a good job managing the the whole COVID situation. They didn't have a you know any kind of outbreaks or anything like that. Um, but ultimately, all teams have had to face it. The Seahawks got as far in the end as. Uh, the Tennessee Titans who had an outbreak earlier in the season and the Baltimore Ravens who had a huge outbreak went a step further than the Seahawks did in yeah. the offseason. So um, <laughs> part of me thinks, well, do you know what? In the end of the day, it was a challenge for every single person on the planet. It's been a challenge for everybody in the NFL. I think the NFL deserves a lot of, a lot of credit for the way that they Absolutely. are going to get through the whole season, which is mm-hmm. remarkable, without any games being cancelled or 
and without having to cut the season short, which you know is, is testament to the league. I think they deserve a lot of praise. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I don't think that was a was any reason why the Seahawks underwhelmed. I think the the reason the Seahawks underwhelmed is because the way that they've constructed their roster, the way that they've spent their resources, has been has been poor. Yeah, absolutely, completely agree. Matt, do you want to go on, mate? Hello, yeah, I've kept myself a bit quiet <laughs> as of late. So, um, Rob, I was just going to ask. So, have you had, obviously you've been following the Seahawks a lot longer than I have. I've only sort of been into it, you know, the last two, three years. Has there been a moment where, whilst you've been watching games where you've thought, this, you know, this team, this this is my team. This is why I love this team. Other than maybe the Super Bowl win. Is there, you know, anything maybe in the regular season where you had that, like that Tyler Lockett catch against the Rams, for example, or just something exciting that's made you go, this is why I love football with the Seahawks? Well, you know, I think it was probably the first game. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say which football team I grew up following uh, because I work for BBC, you know, yeah. but um, when I went to live in Canada, I was kind of really falling out of, out of love with English football because I, I kind of, there was a lot going on with team that I was following, which I didn't like um, off the off the pitch, and um, there was kind of like a gap in my life for something that you know a team to really feel passionate about. Um, and when I went to Questfield that time, and you know, with no expectation, I didn't go there saying I'm going to be a Seahawks fan. It was like I'm, I was just going there to watch the game. Yeah. And, just, and have the experience in the same way that I had watched. I mean, I don't follow the Mariners um, and I didn't follow the, the, the Sonics before they left. I, I went to those games. I enjoyed the games, but I didn't become obsessed with them. But I went to, to Questfield and, you know, when they raised that 12, I didn't know they were going to raise a flag with 12 on it. <laughs> and then the, and then the fans are going absolutely crazy. And then, you know, the, the players come out of the tunnel and one of them's holding this huge 12 flag. Um, the noise. I mean, I've been to you know, Questfield, CenturyLink, Movement Field, many, many times. And I can tell you that the difference in noise levels now compared to what it was when I was when I first went is incredible. I mean, the noise on that Monday night football game, I'd never experienced anything like it. I mean, it was just electrifying, just the passion, the the connection between the team and the supporters mm-hmm. was just unbelievable. The Seahawks won the game I was at, um, you know, and I... It's, it's a funny story, really, because they were playing Brett Favre. So tickets were quite hard to get hold of. It was Brett Favre and the Packers yeah. on Monday Night Football. And I bought some tickets on this website. And um, we went down and it said row SR on the ticket. So we get to this. We get in the stadium. We're in the stadium. And we've walked to the very back of, of this huge 60, 70,000 seat stadium. And there's like row SP, you know, SQ, but there's no row SR. And we're like, where the hell are these seats? So we went and found one of the stewards and said, well, where are we sitting? We have no idea what's row SR. And the guy's like, I don't know what row SR is. I have no idea. I'm thinking, how have we got in the stadium? This is obviously like, I've obviously got some dodgy tickets here. I don't, and how are we in? Like, how have they got through the... And then he went and found this other steward. He went, oh, row SR. That means standing room only. Oh. And what you actually have around to the very bottom of the top tier are just some numbers on the floor. I've never seen anything like this. You just have numbers on the floor. You have like a number and it's in a box. 
up against the wall and you just have to stand in your box. So you don't, you don't get a seat. You have to stand and watch the game. And, and I, you know, as we were, so the first Seahawks game we went to, my wife, who like it's snowing, she can't sit down. It's like minus eight degrees. I've got a great picture of her looking absolutely furious. And we just stood watching this game. And I just thought it was brilliant. You know, I just stood there thought, this is amazing. And then when, right at the end of the game, you know, this, this fan walks past because, you know, everyone's walking past because we're stood in the, essentially in the way in, next to the exit. And everyone's walking past. And this guy just gave me a fist bump, you know, thinking, you know, we're fans. And he was, he was happy about, about the victory. And I just thought, this is great. You know, everyone's connected. Mm-hmm. Everything's, you know, everyone's so behind the team. You know, there's this great relationship there that we don't have in English football. And, and there was like away fans, Packers fans sitting with the Seahawks fans and they weren't killing each other. And, and there was no swearing or anything like that. I just thought, this is amazing. And, you know, right there and then I thought, I can, I, you know, I love this. This is for me. And um, I can't say that there's been another another moment really that's made me think, oh yeah, this is my team. I mean, obviously, I, I will always think very fondly of the 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 Forty Niners game in 2012. Always stands out to me right yeah. before Christmas because that was the moment when I thought, yes, this team is good. You know, this is a good team. You know, when you hammered the the Niners, who just beat they hammered the Patriots the week before in New England. Um, when you actually win a game like that, that was when I was starting to believe this is a team that could win a Super Bowl. So I think round about that time is probably my favourite time following the Seahawks, right before that first Super Bowl, culminating in that first Super Bowl. I don't think anything will ever top that time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's kind of that first game and that sort of period 2012-2013 that really made me think, this is amazing. That's that's a great story about the, um, you know, as you said, just standing room only and, and that guy, you know, just giving you a fist bump. I think, I think that's what's great about the NFL generally. Maybe not just... Seahawks related but like you look you go to Wembley like for the UK games I know it's obviously it's not the same but you know you'll have fans of all teams there you might even have like you know fans of rivals teams sat next to each other but everyone seems to it almost seems to be this family of just crazy people that that watch this stupidly long game and just enjoy it and I mean you know if it wasn't for you know if it wasn't for me finding the NFL obviously I wouldn't be here talking to yourselves now doing a podcast I don't think I would ever have done that with I mean I'm a I'm a Portsmouth fan in, in soccer um, and I don't I couldn't see myself sitting there with with three Portsmouth fans you know doing a podcast something like that but with the NFL it's sort of so involved and, and everyone you know there's so much to talk about and I, I really like the idea that everyone can just sort of you know get along and talk about it regardless of you know who you are or who you support or anything. Yeah, I think it's great. And, and I, I don't think every stadium... I've, I went to watch the New York Jets play once um, against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I can tell you, the crowd in New York is very different to the crowd in Seattle or Wembley. Uh, <laughs> there was this one guy who spent the whole game going, no, nah, they don't want to do that. They should have done this. And they should have called that. And, you know, I told you about this. And, and, and like the Jets, as every, as like every moment went wrong for the Jets, was like, I told you. I told you they should have done this. I told you this team stinks. And he's shouting away there. And then the Jets kind of came back to win in the last quarter. And he just didn't say anything. He was just sort of sat there fuming. Because I think to him, he was he would have rather just be sat there as the guy who everybody was like, yeah, yeah, you were right, David, or whatever. But, um, you know, he, he, the fact that they'd won the game, kind of like, he was more annoyed by that than the fact that... <laughs> 
the the fact that he couldn't he couldn't moan about the team. So I think it's it's very different there. But I, you know, it's, it's great in Seattle. You know, if anybody's listening to this who's never been, I would recommend it. The only thing is, I wish you could all. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been. When when I went in two thousand and six was the first time I went. Um, oh my word, it was so much noisier than it is now. The atmosphere was so much better. I don't know what's changed. I don't know if it's just success. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, maybe took the edge off the the uh, the CenturyLink crowd, um, but still, you know, an amazing experience. I mean, I've, unfortunately, I've never had the chance to go out there. I mean, this year would have probably have been the first time I would have been able to go and watch a game over in the US. But obviously, we all know we all know what's happened uh, in terms of fans and, and travel and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the the only game I've actually been able to see. And it pains me to say was the Rams against the Bengals at Wembley. Um, I mean, obviously it's an NFL game, you know, but it's the Rams. Like, my, my advice, oh. if you ever decide to go over, is to pick your game very, very carefully, because yeah. I've been to Seattle and um, seen them lose, and it does ruin the trip. I have to say, you know, when oh, you travel sure. five thousand miles and you go there, and like, Jimmy, when I, when I go, I'll probably arrive in Seattle on a Thursday and fly back out on Monday or Tuesday and just go for the game. And, you know, going around Seattle, going in the sports bars, hanging around downtown Seattle, maybe going to a college football game is what I've done in the past. And then you have the game. And if you have the game and they lose, you just feel miserable. On the, you know, for the rest of the Sunday and the Monday, you don't really yeah. get the most out of your your days and you know I, I tried to pick games that they would win but I watched them lose against the Cowboys for example I've watched them lose against Kirk Cousins and Washington oh, um, that would hurt but you know I've, I've also seen them you know a lot of them lose to the Bengals in 2011 again these were all games that I thought hey they've got a chance of winning and um, and, it, and it, it didn't work out <laughs> and and my plan this year was to go for the Giants and Jets games for oh. that reason and if, and if it wasn't for COVID I'd have gone for that week and they'd have lost the Giants game so it's like so be very careful. If, for example, if you see a game like the Jets this year, then go to that one and like try and make sure you pick a game where they win. Because yeah, it's great to go and watch them play the Niners or the Rams or the you know one of the big t- like the Chiefs or some of the Packers or something like that. It's great to experience a, a you know a seriously big game and the atmosphere that comes with that. But you also run the risk of seeing a loss. And uh, I think the most important yeah. thing is to make sure you see a win. Yeah, yeah, I, that makes sense. For sure, I, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't that. go that way. I sorry, got uh, sorry. I got dragged to Seattle by my brother because at the time I thought I was in the ballpark of oh NFL, it's just soft rugby, this that and the other. I didn't <laughs> didn't buy into anything, anything to do with it. And then it was we went when it was his birthday, so I sourced these tickets off this guy. I kind of used the fact that I was in the military to try and win them over because they love the military over there. So this guy was selling these tickets and I messaged him. He's like, yeah, yeah, meet us in this bar. So I did it all for my brother and I thought this is going to be the most boring three hours of my life. But I got there and I started watching it and this American guy, fair play to him, just sat there for the whole game, just talking to me, telling me exactly what was going on. And that's like kind of shows any interaction you have with any like Seahawks fans I found is they're just so friendly and kind. They like just want to help you out and do all that. And then they ended up losing. So I was freezing my ass off and I was just like... You know, that's, that is true great. about Seahawks fans. That is really true. That you know, I've, I've found that as well. You know, they are, when you go there and when I've been to a game, if anybody hears your accent, they want to have a chat and sort of understand why you're a Seahawks fan. Um, when I was there last time, 
someone who reads the blog just sent me an email and went, hey, we have a, we have a corporate, we have a box at the stadium. Um, do you want to come in the box? You know, we've got a, a few spare seats. And so what we did is we actually donate. We bought the ticket. We bought, we had to spend a lot of money on the tickets because it's very expensive to go and watch them. When I went to watch the Bengals in 2011, the tickets cost about $20. And the, <laughs> the tickets cost about $200 now because it's, it's, it's they've, they've won the Super Bowl and, you know, it's, it's very hard. Unless you know somebody, who's got tickets who can sell them to you on face value. It's very hard to get face value tickets for the Seahawks home games. But he said, do you want to come to the box? So we actually sold the tickets that we'd bought and paid a lot of money for, and then just donated the money to a local charity and went in the box. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. And like, we just thought, this is, I've never met this guy. He just read the blog and, and seemed to like the blog and he invited us in. And we, it was like a whole new experience. Sort of watching it from that, you know, we were field level right at the, uh, right behind the end zone. Um, and it was it was amazing. We got soaked because it, it rained and there was no cover if you wanted to watch the game. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it was it was an amazing experience. And that's kind of I think that sums up Seahawks fans really. They are a they are a good bunch to be fair. Absolutely. I mean, go on, Matt. Sorry, mate. So I just think that's crazy. Just some random guy just like oh yeah, do you want to yeah do you want to come in our in our corporate box? I mean, my concern about going to games, as you said, is the cost of tickets at face value, but. You know, it's one of those things where you sort of have to stump up the price and just go, yeah, I'm going to pay it. Again, what I would recommend is going on the forums and going on like Reddit and the Facebook groups and just sending a message saying, look, I want to go. Do you know a lot? A lot of people have season tickets and they've they keep hold of the season tickets. Maybe they don't. Maybe they've moved away for work or whatever, but they don't want to lose the season tickets because they want to come back to Seattle. And what they will do is they will sell their their game day tickets at face value. Um, so, you know, do a bit of research. If you ever go in, I found somebody who, who had, um, you know, three tickets, I think it was, or four tickets, and he would be willing to, to sell them all on face value. You know, it's still quite expensive, but it's not as expensive as it can be. So, um, that would be my, my tip to anybody who ever wants to go to Seattle is try and find somebody who can, um, can send you tickets, um, and make sure they're official as well, obviously. But, um, you know, there's, there's a ticket transfer whereby, it, it all gets done through the Seahawks website. So if, if you find the right person who's willing to sell your face value tickets, it can be done, but it, it probably takes a little bit more work than just going on, you know, that the resale sites where you get absolutely fleeced. Oh, yeah. See, that's interesting because we, uh, for the Rams, I know obviously it's, it's completely different kettle of fish, but when we went to the Rams game in London, I think we bought our tickets probably three days before on that StubHub, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah, StubHub. Um, and I think we were sat right up in the gods, but you still got a great view of the field. Um, and I think they were like 26 quid or something like that for, for a ticket. And it's like, you compare that to, I looked at again on the same website for tickets at CenturyLink or Lumen, whatever it's called. Um, and like even the worst seats were like three, $400. It's it's completely Crazy. changed. I mean, it definitely wasn't like that before the Super Bowl. You could easily get tickets, but say something else, there's a lot more re- like away fans in in the stadium these days. You know, a lot yeah. more people want to travel to Seattle. It's it's like a big occasion now to go and watch yeah. your team play the Seahawks. So you definitely find that there's a lot more Seahawks fans are selling their tickets to like away fans, <laughs> uh, which doesn't help for the atmosphere either. But, um, no. you know, I think one of the best experiences I ever had was was when the Seahawks came to London, actually, and I managed to get a press pass for the game. 
and oh. um, um, went in the locker room afterwards and interviewed some of the players. Oh, God. You know, I was able to, I went to the press conferences in the week and interviewed Pete, well, I didn't interview Pete Cole. I asked him some questions. Um, he had a little joke in my English accent. Um, <laughs> and, and just, you know, and, and having a chance to talk to Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner and people no like way. that was surreal. I got a chance to meet, um, you know, a lot of the media guys. I met Dave Wyman and, and have become, you know, I would, I would consider Dave Wyman a, you know, a friend now. Just somebody who I can, you know, drop a text to and he would reply. And we did an interview last year. So I just, it was just such an amazing, look, the Seahawks are a great team. And, and I think this is sometimes when, like, I've got caught up a lot in the reporting on what I think are some negative things in terms of the roster construction and what might happen next and the offensive coordinator appointment. But, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to like about the Seahawks as well. It's just that you know what kind of a conversation do you want to have? You know, if you if you write a blog, do you want to talk about the personnel decisions and where the future of the team, or do you want to talk about how the Seahawks fans are great and you know it's a it's a good team to follow? I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> there's only really one one direction you can go on a blog called Seahawks Draft Blog. So, <laughs> but it is but it is a, it is a it is a really good team to follow. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm talking about the draft. I mean, one of the main reasons why I sort of love the NFL and the format of the NFL is, is it's you can go from being the worst team in the league one season to being the best team in the league the next season and, and you just don't get that with our soccer and, and our football you know it's in the Premier League it's it's your you know your Man City's Liverpool's United winning it every year I know we had Leicester a little while ago and that but for the for the vast majority of the time it's the same set four or five teams battling it out whereas in the NFL, we saw it with the Niners going from the you know the second worst team, I think they were, to to the Super Bowl, and and these teams you can just sort of it takes like you know we're, we're talking about uh, Deshaun Watson and possibly wanting to go to the Jets. Now, if that move was to happen, all of a sudden, if the Jets can find a few receivers to, with with Watson at quarterback and, and a left tackle in Mackay Becton and a few receivers, then that offense is all of a sudden good enough to outscore quite a few teams. So it's it's. You can go from being the worst team to the best team so quickly. That's it's one of the main reasons why I love the NFL because it's so you know there's it's not often where you have the same teams in the Super Bowl every year. It's different every year. It's 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 sort of a blank slate every year, and I love that about the NFL. And coming to coming to the draft again, I know obviously you do your draft block. How how different is it? Are you finding it this year? Obviously coming up to the draft in March with the limited player time in college and that, how, how different is sort of the evaluation process when you interview the college guys and when you evaluate their tape, you know, going off tape from two, three seasons back possibly on certain players. How, how have you, how are you finding evaluating this year's draft so far? Well, it's hard. I mean, there's a lot of players that you just haven't seen for, you know, they've not played. Like you can take it like someone like Gregory Rousseau at, at Miami. I mean, he played, he was so raw in 2019 and you sort of see a lot of things that you like. But then you want to see if he can take the next step. And if he played like a full college football season this year, then you've, you've got like another 12, 13 games to study him from and, yeah. and to see if he's improved, to see if he can improve, to see if he's always going to be that kind of a raw player. So now you go into this draft and you think, well, what is he? You know, and, and you see a lot of mock drafts and people will put him in the top 10 or the top 15 based on his physical profile. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. He could go in round three because he's, he's so raw. That you know, teams, and you also don't have a combine now, so you don't even have the ability whereby you've got players who are sort of physically brilliant but have not played, but they can go to the combine and run. You know, if you're a defensive lineman, a four six, a four seven, 
yeah. a one-five a one split and, you know, 40-inch vertical and all of a sudden everyone's saying, well, look at the profile. You'll take them in the first round. They don't even have that potential now. So it's really incomplete. But what I would say is that for a lot of the positions that we're looking for with regards to the Seahawks, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy. I mean, the, all yeah. of the offensive linemen, you, don't, you didn't have many offensive linemen holding out last year. Let's just say that, you know, no. those, those, those guards and centers, you have to kind of drag them off the field. There's no way, you know, they live <laughs> for football. So there's, you might have a few receivers and a few quarterbacks and people like that who don't want to play. Generally, the guards and the centers, they, they want to play. So, you know, if we're looking from an offensive line point of view with the Seahawks, I feel like I've got a good idea on pretty much all of the offensive linemen that are going to be in this draft um, and go in the first few rounds. There'll be other players that emerge. You know, that's what's great about the senior bowl is that names you don't consider up until this point. You see them work out in Mobile this week, and then all of a sudden you, they're on your radar and you talk about them. So that's pretty much set. It's just certain players certain positions where there's a little bit of an unknown. But, you know, the teams have got to work this out. You know, we had all this last year. Oh, the draft's going to be different. The draft's going to be harder. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. End of the day, a draft's a draft. You know, you watch the tape. You, you try and get as much information as you can. Hopefully these players can do pro day so you can at least get some athletic testing. Um, it, it is what it is. Personally, I'm very disappointed. I love the combine. You know, what I generally do is take four days off work and just watch every minute of the combine. Wow. And you get so much information from that. You know, yeah. I, I don't. I work harder than I ever work the rest of the year when the combine's on because I just mm-hmm. take the time. And it's just, you're talking about eight hours of live blogging followed by like a, an article that's probably like two, 3,000 words right off the back of it to review the day. Then wow. a podcast every single day. You know, it's just a nonstop but I love every minute of it because you just get so much information. You like learn things about players and their athletic profiles, which are so important for the next level off the back of this combine. And there's just all that, all of the teams meet in one area. There's all sorts of trade rumors going around and then bits of information. And none of that is going to happen this year, which is a real shame. So I kind of feel like we've been robbed of one of the great weekends of Mm -hmm. the NFL calendar. Um, so that is disappointing. But in terms of being able to draft, like, if you said, right, tell us some, some offensive linemen that could fit the Seahawks, I could do that right now. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, that, in that regard, it's, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. I just wanted to jump in and ask a question. With everything you said then, Rob, do you reckon that the undrafted free agency market is going to be have a lot more, would you say, diamonds in the rough this year with the lack of exposure that some of these college players have got, like you said, about the guys who show potential last year didn't get chance to play this year and then they're going to be really down on uh, NFL team's radar and then he could go in undrafted and then he could get snapped up a bit like um, the running back for uh, the Jags this year who's just come out undrafted and come out and just been one of the best running backs this season. Yeah, I don't know why why Robinson ended up going undrafted. I mean, if you actually look at his profile, he was... It's pretty easy to work out the running backs the Seahawks like. You know, they have um, a certain height and weight that they always go for an explosive testing. And, and actually, Robinson was on the list of players last year that he said he fits what Seattle looks for in a running back. Um, obviously, he ends up in, in Jacksonville. The Seahawks took DJ, DJ Dallas instead. It was also one of those players. But, you know, what you've got to, what you've got to like look at is I don't know whether it, this whole situation is going to mean that better players go undrafted. I don't know whether that's going to happen necessarily. I just wonder whether or not um, what what we're going to see is that players might last a bit longer in the draft if you don't have all of the information, and it might be harder to find those players that are going to you know that every every year there's a there's a really good player isn't there that goes in round three. You know, is it going to be harder to find that player this year because you don't have all of the information? 
I don't know. Maybe it will be. I think I don't think it's so much it's going to produce diamonds for undrafted. I think what it does do is it makes it harder to analyse, and it may it means that you have to take gambles on certain players. And we saw that last year. I don't know why on earth in a year when you can't do full medical checks and you you don't have any of the information that you really need, that the Seahawks traded a second and a third round pick for Daryl Taylor, who going into that draft, you know, we were talking about it. I'd heard numerous NFL insiders talking that he may go undrafted. He may not be able to pass a medical. And it's one thing to take the guy. Like if they'd have took him in round four, then and he hand words out, then that's one thing, isn't it? To yeah. trade up in round two to take a player with those kind of red flags, with that kind of mystery, and then for it to play out the way that it did, it's just not good enough. It's not acceptable, really. And, and, the, and that's the kind of mistakes the Seahawks have, have started to make over the last few years, which are, are, are the reason why they can't get back to the NFC Championship game. You know, they overthought the Rashard Penny pick when they should have took Nick Chubb. They've yeah. not been able to build up their offensive line. You know, you can run through lists of players every year. I mean, we spent a whole um, draft season saying, TJ Watt is unbelievable. Like, mm-hmm. look, he's one, he's JJ Watt's brother. And actually look at his physical profile and look at his tape in Wisconsin. And, and then he was sat right there and they trade down and take Malik McDowell instead. And it's like, well, yeah, okay. You, you can understand why they took Malik McDowell because they needed an interior fen- defensive lineman and he had a great physical profile. I'm no issue with that. You know, if they yeah. wanted to take a chance on him, that's fine. They had enough... Um, you know, they've got enough in the bank in terms of trust for them to be able to make a mistake. But ultimately, it's this kind of like, sometimes you can overthink things. You can try and be a little bit too clever. Sometimes mm-hmm. the obvious things are staring you in the face. And, you know, Nick Chubb was the perfect uh, running back for the Seahawks and they take Rashad Penny. I mean, like, think of all the running backs they've passed on over the years. They didn't want to take Derek Henry when he was there. They didn't want to take Dalvin Cook when he was there. They didn't want to take uh, Jonathan Taylor when he was there. You know, they didn't want to take um, Alvin Kamara when he was there. You know, you can run through all of these different players that they've passed on. Mm-hmm. And, and yet the one player they've taken in the first round of running back is Rashad Penny. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. How do you pass on all these players? And then yeah. for a team that really wants to run the ball as much as they do, Rashad Penny's the one that you, you sort of place your faith in. So, you know, that's, that's sort of the, there's been a lot of mistakes. And I think the Daryl Taylor one, I hope they learn from that. If there's any players in this draft with any serious medical issues, Landon Dickerson's an example of that, the centre at Alabama, mm-hmm. then maybe you just have to say, however much you like them and however much you feel you need a, posi- a player at that position, you've, got to, you've just got to be a little bit more cautious here. And health and availability has to be really at the top of, of your of list of things that you're looking for in a player. Absolutely. Um, so we'll get on to the questions that you've sent in. Um, everyone who's been uh, on the on the pages and that and, and sent me questions thanks very much everyone for getting these in um we'll start with john his his little sort of a three three-headed question um and we've touched on some of it so he says what do you make of the offensive coordinator change in general um how deeply should russ be consulted in this recruitment process and who would you put in lead position to replace shy well i think what i think about it is that um uh, you know, people seem to be suggesting that Schottenheimer was fired. And yet, if you read the reports and Jason LeConfort had a report saying there was never any intention to move on, that it was basically they, when they sat down to the end of season meetings, it became very clear there was a difference in opinion in terms of what the philosophy should be moving forward. And yeah. Brian Schottenheimer has moved on. And it, it was very much the mutual parting that they spoke about. He wasn't fired. And I think that all we're seeing that now because they didn't have somebody lined up ready to roll um, straight off the bat. You know, they're interviewing a whole bunch of people. This is quite a wide search. And, you know, if you want to be 
if you want to look at it on the you know a glass half full mentality you say well it's a thorough search you know they're then leaving no stone unturned if you a glass half empty you're saying well they didn't have a plan and now they're looking and they're trying to find somebody to take this role we're, si- we're starting to see some of the candidates that were interested in the job anthony lynn's gone to detroit you mm-hmm. know a couple of other guys are off the market now um I, what do i think of the search i think it, it looks to me like a search that is struggling it seems to me like they can't they can't find there isn't an obvious candidate who they're going to go after and it's not the easiest thing to sell hey come to seattle and run an offense that a 69 year old defensive head coach is going to try and dictate to you and yeah. at the same time um you've got a, a quarterback who while brilliant is is not a is not a, a you can't just place him into a system like you have to he's a he's at his best on the move he will improvise a lot. He's, he's, got a very, he's got a very strong opinion on what he wants to do as well. And I actually think a lot of people are looking at this gig and saying, it's, it's not the easiest job. You know, you would think that it'd be great to come and work with Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Dwayne mm-hmm. Brown um, and a Seahawks team that has won a lot of games. But actually, it's, it's not, it maybe doesn't have quite that same appeal. And the other thing you've got to remember is that none of the previous Seahawks offensive coordinators have gone on to be head coaches. So Jeremy Bates, Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer have not left the team to, to be promoted. They've left the team because they've either been fired or because the team is moving in a different direction now. So if you're a young upcoming offensive coordinator or sorry, position coach who wants to be a head coach in the, in, the, in the future, you can't look at the Seahawks job and say, that's my pathway to becoming a head coach in the same way that if I run somebody else's offense, Cal Shanahan's or, you know, Sean McVay's, then that's the pathway or Andy Reid's, the pathway is very clearly there. So yeah. what? who do I want to see them get? I want to see them get somebody who is, who's going to stand up to Pete Carroll. For me, that would mean a head coach, a former head coach with aspirations of becoming a head coach again, who Pete Carroll will have to cede some control to, otherwise they ain't going to take this job, who is creative, that is, is willing to think outside of the box a little bit. Um, that has had some success in the league. That's what I would look for. And those, you know, the the guy that stands out to me more than any other is Doug Peterson yeah. because he he's won a Super Bowl. You know, he's he is is not the kind of he's not a shrinking violet. He's not going to go and, and Carol says I, I, I want you to do this. He's not going to he's not going to say okay, Pete. You know, he's going to say no. I think we should do this, and they're going to have to make it work. And I actually want that, and I want to see Pete Carroll be willing to cede some control to this offense and put it into the hands of an expert. And I, I want to see a coach come in who has maybe got some contacts who can bring in some staff around him that will enable this offense to thrive. So it's not just always Pete Carroll's family members or, or his inner circle that are constantly working around this offense. That's what I want to see. So I want to see them really now say to Doug Peterson, I know that you don't want to you don't want to work this this season because essentially you'll be working for free because of the way that the payoff from the Eagles is. Unless they pay him more than the Eagles were going to pay him to be the head coach, yeah. then he's he's not gonna he's not gonna earn anything from working this year. They have to make it worth his while. I'm not sure how they do that, but they have to find some way, in my opinion, to get somebody like that in. It'll be really disappointing if they just have to resort to whoever will take the job and do whatever is asked of him and I fear that it, it could still be a Dave Canales or yeah. Wilson, the running backs coach or somebody like that who is willing just to take the job because of the job. Maybe Joe Lombardi appeals to him a little bit more because he's from Seattle mm-hmm. um, and, and he's, you know, he doesn't, I, I don't see him sort of becoming the offensive coordinator in New Orleans very quickly. 
The only problem with that is if you actually Google Joe Lombardi's name on Twitter, not Google it on Twitter, if you search his name on Twitter and see what the Detroit Lions fans are saying about it, <laughs> uh, it's, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the last thing we need is another sort of yes man, isn't it? And I think with Doug Peterson, he would come in and sort of say, right, I've got the reins to the offense. I'm doing it my way and, and you're not having to say you're, you're a, like you say you're you're a defensive minded coach you've always been a defensive minded coach you sort that side of it out and I'll sort the offensive out so for me if if a young guy comes in someone like a Lafleur from the 49ers or the um the guy at Clemson there their offensive coordinator say if, say if someone like that came in with relatively little experience and and still a young sort of fresh face who would just sort of be a yes man then I think well then you may as well have just kept Schottenheimer because then it's it's the same sort of system he's just going to be a yes man Pete's going to call the players and 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 overall it's going to be his final say on on what happens on on the offense uh, on the field whereas a guy like Doug Peterson like say would come in and just say no like you know I'm calling the players you know, never mind taking the reins off me on fourth down and, 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 you know, when the game's on the line, like, let me run the offence. I mean, they, they just can't afford to have another yes man, in my opinion. Can, can I just say as well, I mean, this is this will be quite a controversial opinion. Yeah. But I, I don't understand all of the negativity around people like Adam Gase. Because the thing about Adam Gase is like, look, Adam Gase was a, a bit of a laughing stock in New York. The minute he did that opening press conference where his eyes were all over the place, it's like, <laughs> you know, immediately from there, it was a disaster. Yeah, um, But Adam Gase has coached an offense that has been to a Super Bowl. Adam Gase has had success with Jay Cutler. Adam Gase mm-hmm. has been a head coach. Now, yet it didn't go well in New York. This idea that the guy can't coach an offense or be a de- maybe he's a terrible head coach, but he's a good offensive coordinator. I don't know. I mean, yeah. like, he's, I, I am not as down on... If it was Gase, the Seahawks fans are going to riot. I, yeah. I was like thinking, well... Why? You know, like, it could be a lot worse than Adam Gates. This is a guy who has actually shown that he can work with a quarterback in Jay Cutler, who's been almost impossible to manage. Mm-hmm. And, and with Peyton Manning, they had a lot of success. Yeah, all right, Manning's kind of always been his own offensive coordinator. But he knows what it takes to succeed. And he's been around success in the places he's been at. So I don't think it's, it would be a total disaster like a lot of other people. I actually think... it. it, it it may even, because he's been a head coach, be a sign of Pete wanting to see a little bit of control. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. Uh, another name that I heard mentioned the other day that hasn't been linked with any of the offensive coordinator jobs, but I've always kind of liked Todd Haley. He's a bit of a pain in the backside. And he's, <laughs> he's kind of always been a bit of a disruptive force at the teams he's been at. But I think that he can coach offense. And I think that he took Pittsburgh's offense to a new level when he first arrived there. Mm-hmm. And he's been a head coach. And he's had some success. I wouldn't. Be, I don't think he, in any way whatsoever, would work in Pete Carroll's culture and system. But that's kind of like what I like about him is that he would yeah. be very different to yeah. what Pete Carroll has gone for. And the other thing is that I'm. You know what? I, a lot of people don't like Bill O'Brien, and he's gone to Alabama to be the offensive coordinator there for Nick Saban. You know, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought it would have been a horrible pick for the Seahawks to have him as offensive coordinator either. He's worked with the mobile quarterback. He's he's worked. He's had some success. He's been around the block, whether it's in New England or Penn State and now with the Texans. Yes, you don't want Bill O'Brien in charge of your draft picks and your salary cap like no. when he was in, in, in Houston. But could he put an offense together that is creative and dynamic? Yes. So, you know, a lot of these guys that people wouldn't like, I'm a little bit more open minded about. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I would prefer that to someone like the most overrated coach in 
football right now is Pep Hamilton. And people yeah. seem to love the idea of him coming in <laughs> and hate the idea of someone like Adam Gase. I probably feel the other way around. Very interesting point. I think, say, like people are evaluating them as head coaches and not as offensive coordinators, are you? Um, Matt, do you want to go, mate? Um, yeah, so, Rob, you sort of touched on something that, you know, I can kind of relate to with, I mean, I, I know it's it's a completely different level to the NFL, but I play American football at uni and we've just had an offensive coordinator change and it was someone that, the, the guy that's come in now is someone that we kind of doubted a little bit, people doubted a little bit and people weren't really sure of, of having him as our coordinator as you said like with Adam Gase a lot of people are like they don't you know they don't really want him in um but I I don't know what he's done but it feels like our offense I mean in the short training time we had before we got locked down you know we feel like all of a sudden we've gone oh this guy's actually quite good and he's sort of changed the dynamic in the team quite a lot and another thing you touched on, which I mentioned to uh, James and Pez, I think it might have been last week, um, in terms of sort of offensive coordinator jobs and potentially, you know, we're, I think I, I came up with sort of a theoretical example if um, if Pete Carroll was not with us per se. I mean, I don't list like him, but, you know, if he left, how desirable would the... Seahawks coaching jobs be relative to someone like the Chargers where they've got you know a, a young quarterback who's just come in and you know I mean w- would you prefer to have an offense that you can make your own so for someone like Robert Sala who's gone to uh, is it the Jets yeah. you know he can make that offense his or would you prefer to jump into a Pete Carroll offense like you've got in Seattle if that makes sense you want to do what you want to do. I mean, like if, you're a, if you are an offensive-minded coach and you are essentially in charge of the offense, you want to be able to do what you want to do. How attractive would the Seahawks job be? I, I'd like to think it will be quite attractive. And, um, you know, I, I also remember when the Packers fired Mike McCarthy and a lot of people said it's not quite as attractive as you might think working with Aaron Rodgers because he's so strong-headed and knows what he wants to do and what he wants to be. And it could be it could be difficult to work with. Now, fairness to Matt Lafleur has made it work, but I, I wonder a little bit whether or not if in Seattle, if Carroll had gone, whether a few people would be like, "Yes, I can't wait to work with Russell Wilson," or whether people would be like, "Actually, do you know what? I can go to New York, or uh, and I can shape things how I want to. You know, there's no real expectation that I stick by this guy or that guy. We can make a decision on whether Sam Donald's the guy or not, and if not, we can move off." If you can go to the Chargers and you go, hey, we've got Justin Herbert at the start of his career. He looks like he's going to be a legendary player. Let's go in there and try and be the ones who can ride the coattails of that. Go to Jacksonville, draft Trevor Lawrence, have like $100 million to spend in cap space. You've got extra first round picks to spend. You know, these are really attractive jobs. And sometimes building from ground zero is more attractive than taking over a team that has had success and you're having to replace a legendary coach. And when Carroll came in, the Seahawks were like a French, an expansion franchise in terms of their roster and everything needed to be built up from the ground. And I think that appealed to Carroll. It may have appealed less if he was at, you know, joining a team with loads of established veterans who've, who've only ever done one thing for, for 10 years under Pete Carroll. And now you're asking him to do something completely different. Sometimes you just want your guys who you've coached under your culture to come in and do it. So that would be something that I think people think about. Um, I actually think that really when you appoint an offensive coordinator, you just have to go, right, okay, 
will you, you know, what, what, what are you going to do with the offense? And if it sounds impressive and creative, you just go with it. And I hope that the Seahawks go with that. I, I hope that they're not thinking, oh, well, Jamal Adams will be upset if, if Adam Gase takes over the offense. It sh- that, shouldn't, that should be an irrelevance. That's what for Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams. If Jamal Adams wants 18 to $20 million a year off the Seahawks, then you're going to have to work with whoever the offensive coordinator is, I'm afraid. I mean, you, you're not even on the offense. So you just go and appoint whoever you want to appoint. And I wish the Seahawks could kind of make a call on this now. Unless they've, they know who they want and they're coaching on the Bills or the Packers or the Chiefs or the Buccaneers this weekend, then I, I just wish that they were, the, the Senior Bowl starts this week and you want your position coaches watching these guys, having input, yeah. helping you along. Um, I, I'd like to see not just an offensive coordinator come in, but a couple of other members of staff with that offensive coordinator to help, you know, move things in their direction as opposed to just one guy coming in and working with everybody else. Um, so I think there's, I, I personally think it's been what about 10, 11, 12 days since Schottenheimer left now. Yeah. I think we're getting to the point where we need to see a decision made here. Definitely. Definitely. Matt, do you want to go for the next question, mate? Oh, yeah. Forgot. I've still got one question here. So, uh, Joel, uh, on Instagram has asked us a defensive question. Um, and he's asked, should we move away from uh, using cover three? Because we saw against the Bills uh, using like their drag routes, out routes and short curls, um, getting a lot of first downs, you know, these short throws and, and quite big runs. And you had, you know, you had the likes of Joss Allen on, yeah, absolutely on fire in the red zone. Um, and they made a lot of big plays. I, I, I do remember they made a lot of big plays off of, off of these, you know, short throws and then just ran after the catch. Well, you could play cover 103 if <laughs> um, if you're going to play a cornerback who, who can't even walk, which is what they yeah. had in that game with Quinton Dunbar. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was just ridiculous that he was in that game. And, you know, that was kind of like the, um, the peak of Seattle's defensive woes, really. I mean, like, it was just terrible. They came out and played that game expecting the Bills to run the ball when, you know, Seattle's passing defense was the worst in the league, worst in history at the time. And and the Bills couldn't run the ball, but could throw it well. So, I mean, like the game plan and the scheming and the preparation was all wrong. I don't think you have to move away from cover three. You know, every kind of coverage, it's everything's been tried in the NFL. There are no kind of really new ideas on defense anymore. Everything's a give and take. If you play this coverage, it comes with this positives, this weaknesses. Every team has got a basic idea on how to beat this coverage. This is what you do against cover zero. This is what you do against cover two. This is what you do against cover three. You know, there's there's like ways to beat a defense. And what you've kind of got to do is when you pick your identity and how you're going to play, you've got to be good at it. You've got to execute, which the Seahawks weren't executing well at all in the first half of the season. And you've also got to be able to, if you're going to run the kind of system the Seahawks do, you've got to create pressure with four. You can't have to rely on the blitz. And you can't have four guys not creating any pressure on the quarterback. It's, it's, it works hand in hand. And the Seahawks didn't have enough pressure in the first half of the season. They had a lot, lot more pressure in the second half of the season. They did still blitz quite a lot. I think one of the key things this season is to make sure that they go into next year with an improved pass rush. Carlos Dunlap had a good impact. Can you get a little bit better there? Can you get a bit more depth and, and talent on that D-line to really create some pressure? Is Daryl Taylor going to come back or not? You need to be honest and be, with that situation and proceed as such. And if you can do those things, and if you can improve your pass rush, 
then I think the Seahawks can be a very effective team, whether they're running cover three, cover two, whatever. That's interesting to hear your take on that. Um, I did have one final question from me, which is draft related. I just just popped up in my head now. Um, so we mentioned earlier, obviously, we don't have that many picks this year. Um, and we've got a lot of positions that we need to improve on. Um, how can you see us get, well, can you see us getting back into the, you know, the, the first couple rounds of the draft, um, by trading players, you know, for, for picks and, you know, if so, who, who do you think we would trade away for picks if we did? I think there's, there's only three players that you will get a pick in the first two rounds for. One is Russell Wilson, obviously. One is DK Metcalf. He's not going anywhere. Um, and the other one's Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, personally, my opinion, what would I do? I'd trade Jamal Adams. Because, wow. you know, I, 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 look, Jamal Adams is a good player. But I don't think he's a great fit in this scheme. The Seahawks had yeah. to blitz 33.5% of the time in 2020. That's twice as much as they were blitzing in 2018 when they had Frank Clark. Yeah. And their sack percentage was lower than it was in 2018. So they need to get back to that level, like 18, 90% blitzing. And you can't do that while ever you have Jamal Adams. I thought that it isolated Quandre Diggs and exposed him a lot because the other safety was constantly playing up on the line. And a lot of people going about the nine and a half sacks and the sack record and stuff like this. Let's just be clear here that Jamal Adams blitzed eight times a game on average in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And he recorded 0.8 sacks a game which means that seven out of eight times he blitzed and didn't get home. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's the success. The Seahawks were blitzing him pretty much more than any other player in the league. And seven out of eight times he was not getting a sack. How were they creating the opportunities to create pressure and get those sacks? They were putting Bobby Wagner up in the A gap. Teams are shifting their protection. Jamal Adams then comes up to the line. It's a telegraph blitz. He's got a free run to the quarterback. It's just can he get to the quarterback before he gets the ball out? He's not beating a offensive lineman. There's no real design here. What, what the three, four teams do, and this is what happened in New York and what happens in New England and Miami and Baltimore, you, you, you run a three, four. Your two outside linebackers can drop in coverage. Your middle linebackers can drop in coverage. You've got four players automatically who can drop at any point, and then you've got safety who can blitz. The thing that people like Todd Bowles do and Greg Williams, is you never know when the blitz is coming from. Are you just going to rush your outside linebackers? Yeah. Is one of your middle linebackers going to rush? Is your safety going to rush? And they'll give you different looks. They'll put Jamal Adams up at the line and have him drop. Or they'll put a middle linebacker in one gap and then Jamal Adams off the edge. And you never know who's going to blitz or who's going to drop. And it constantly keeps you guessing. When you run a 4-3, you can't do those things. So when Jamal Adams was blitzing, you would often be able to call out the Jamal Adams blitz sat on your sofa at home because he would just run up to the line pre-snap and you'd see him coming off the edge. It was a telegraph blitz. It's obvious. So you're not even getting the most out of the blitzing. And like I say, if you're going to keep blitzing your safety as much as this is, we can all talk about nine and a half sacks. What happened the seven out of eight times when he didn't get home? Are the Seahawks giving up a play because they're blitzing like that? And if the quarterback can see Jamal Adams coming up to the line, he knows there's a gap in coverage right off the bat that can be exploited. So. For me, it's not a great fit. You've, you've, you've traded away two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and a player to get Jamal Adams. That's one thing. He's going to expect a contract worth 18 to $20 million 
and and that will you know he will expect that this season, and I think he'll yeah. hold out if if you don't do that. And while his salary will only be nine million, whatever happens this year, because the new contract won't toll until next year, you're still committing a huge salary to a blitzing safety. So when you actually think about it, you've got two options: you either have Jamal Adams and the fifty sixth pick this year, or mm-hmm. if you had never traded for him, you have. 18 to 20 million dollars to spend on however many players in free agency you've got two first round players and a third round player you're talking about it's either have Jamal Adams or maybe five six different players here and when I look at the roster and you're starting cornerback you're starting center you're starting running back you're starting Sam linebacker are all out of contract a number of your players who are on one year deals like Benson Mayowa and Jacob Hollister and Greg Mm -hmm. Olson are all out of contract how are they going to fill all of these holes with 150 grams of the camps, effective camp space, which is what they had this year already? How are they going to fill these holes with only one pick in the first three rounds? To me, it's an absolute no-brainer that Jamal Adams is a nice player, but he's not Joey Bosa. He's not Aaron Donald, yeah. who you can justify paying $20 million a year to. And you're costing yourself a whole bunch of players because of his salary and because of the picks that he's taken up. So personally, what I would do is I would call Miami Dolphins and say, this guy's a perfect fit for your scheme. You have the number 18 pick and the number three pick. So you're going to use the number three pick and whatever you want, whether that's a quarterback or a receiver. But I'll tell you what, give us number 18. You get Jamal Adams as a perfect fit for your scheme. You need a safety and you need a player like this. Give us a third round pick next year and you just take it and you save the money and you get back into the first round. You trade down and get more picks. You build your offensive line. You get a new running back, go and draft Javante Williams from North Carolina. And then you be the team that you say that you want to be, as opposed to having so much resource spent at the linebacker in the safety position, which is what they have. I mean, like they had $25 million on Wagner and Wright this year at linebacker. And then they spent a first round pick on another linebacker. And the year before they spent, they traded up in round three to get Cody Barton. I mean, like how much stock do you want to put and money do you have to put in the in the linebacker position? And then you trade for Jamal Adams, which is two first rounders and a third. And you also spend a second round pick on Marquise Blair. And you spend a fifth round pick on Quandre Diggs and you're paying Quandre Diggs. That is so much money and picks tied up in linebacker and safety. And yet this is a team that wants to punch you in the mouth in the trenches. Where's the investment in the offensive line and the defensive line? That's really where the focus should be from now on. I see what you mean there. That's... Yeah, pretty much hit on everything I was going to say. Um, with just one thing I was thinking about is, you, obviously, we traded a lot for Jamal Adams. You know, as you say, it was three picks and a, and a, and a player. Do, do you think Jamal's value has gone down after the way he's played this season? Or, you know, do, do you think that will affect it at all? I think his value is probably where it was. Uh, I yeah. think the Seahawks just overpaid. I, I don't think there was. I, I don't understand the, the situation where they ended up having to give up two first-round picks for safety. I, I don't, and I think the Seahawks overpaid, and as a consequence, probably will not get two first-round picks and a third back if no. they try to trade him. I think you're going to have to take a hit on that. But I, look, they took a chance. You know, they took a chance on it, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with taking a chance on a player. No. But I think once you understand that you know, you have needs elsewhere and you have limited resources that you have to weigh up, you know, what you're going to do here. And I don't, you're not trading DK Metcalf. You know, I hope that they don't feel like they have to trade Russell Wilson. If that situation unfolds, then so be it. But um, 
you know, that only really leaves Jamal Adams. You know, I don't think you're going to get a second round pick for Bobby Wagner. I don't think you're going to get anything in rounds one and two for people like Jaron Reed or Tyler Lockett mm-hmm. because of their age um, and, and their contract status and the fact they've had a few injuries. So I think you're really looking at Jamal Adams. And I just don't think that he fits in Seattle as well as he would fit in Miami or New York Giants or New England or Baltimore or Tampa Bay. And I think you've just got to see what you can get. And look, if you get that number 18 pick, you just sort of weigh it up. You know, you could have Jamal Adams next year, which would be fine. Or you could have a starting left guard, a starting running back that yeah. are on a million a year, you know, in the draft. And I'm telling you, this is an amazing draft for interior offensive linemen. You could sort out your offensive line for the next five, six years in this draft. You could get yeah. a running back in Javante Williams, who, trust me, is going to be really good. You know, he's a really, really good player who could be the kind of running back the Seahawks need. You could you could go and fill a few defensive holes as well um, with the, the cap saving that you have, whether that's Keanu Neal, who's a free agent safety, or Malik Hook, who's a free agent safety. Take a dabble on one of those. There's a whole bunch of guys that are going to be free agents on the defensive line. If you were to say to me, would I rather spend 18 to $20 million a year on Jamal Adams or 18 to $20 million on Leonard Williams, who had 11 and a half sacks last year and could be your answer to Aaron Donald? I'd rather spend the money on Leonard Williams and have the picks, quite frankly. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I, this is just what you have to do as a team. And I think just because you made a big investment in one player a year ago doesn't mean that you can't a year later say, actually, we need to move on. And this, there is a precedent for that. You know, Brandon Cooks, the Saints spent a first rounder on him in the draft. And then the Patriots traded for him with the first rounder. Then the Rams traded for him for a first rounder. Then the Texans traded him for a second rounder. So there are players that move around and retain value for a number of years. Very interesting. So, yeah, Percy, if you want to go for it, mate. Yeah, I was just listening to your talk and through the whole chat we've had. One thing that stood out to me is your passion for the game and for the Seahawks. And I was just wondering, like, would you ever chase a career in the NFL because I'm guessing trying to get a journalism gig for the Seahawks themselves might be pretty hard. But as the NFL as a whole, as an opening door, would you ever go down that route? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I, I used to co-host the um, NFL on Five Live um, when the BBC had the rights. That was a few years ago now, though. Um, and, you know, there's been there's been sort of offers um over the years, I can remember in, I think it was like 2011, maybe maybe a bit after that. Yeah, I think it was about 2011 that, you know, SB Nation asked if I wanted to do field goals. And, oh, I, and, I, uh. and I, I turned that down. Um, and, you know, there's been a few, a few little things. There was something a couple of years ago which didn't materialise. It definitely doesn't help that I, you know, I'm English. And yeah sound like a bloke from Rotherham. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether it's realistic that it will ever, but it's definitely something I would love to do. I mean, it, you know, I, this is, this has become my favorite sport. Um, yeah. I would love to think that there'd be a chance one day, especially with the way the sport's growing over here, you know, mm. I'd, I'd love to think there'd be a job in England covering the NFL that might materialize one day. Well, certainly I'm not the only person with those kind of ambitions over here. There are a lot of different journalists who um, 
have an interest in the NFL and would certainly be very competitive <laughs> in uh, trying to get in there and do those kind of things. So, yeah, it's something I'd love to do. Whether it happens in the future or not, who knows? Certainly there's nothing on the horizon. But if there's someone listening to this who's got a job going, then uh, give me a ring. Well, it, as it happens, the uh, the Seahawks are looking for an offensive coordinator if you want to throw your hat in the ring for that one. <laughs> yeah, someone else says, I only know one player, and that's Spider Y2 Banana. And that's only because of John, John Gruden. So uh, I'm afraid you, I'll be quite limited there. It'll be very predictable. It's interesting you say about the field goals because it's one of my uh, regular podcasts I listen to. I listen to it like the Locked On, Field Goal Seahawkers, the Pedestrian Podcast um, as well. It's interesting you say that because I just thought it was always um, Brandon Schultz, his idea to do that. I never realised that SB Nation set it up as a thing. Well, SB Nation sort of have their, you know, I don't know that much about them, but essentially they have a bunch of sites, you know, one for each team, and um, they employ people modestly to run those websites. You know, it's it's never, and and it has to be it has to be something that you do on top of a load of other work. It's, it's never a full-time job. You know, they don't pay well enough for it to be a full-time job. Um, but if you were a freelance journalist who was working in the market, or if you even had a, you know, a non-football job, um, you know, if you worked doing something completely different and you did that in your spare time, a bit like I do the blog, and you did it for a bit of extra cash, then that's essentially what it is. And, you know, there, there's been a, you know, when I didn't, when, when I, was when they were talking to me about doing the field goals blog, um, um, I I chose not to take that job because I was just getting into the BBC and thought that was where I needed to focus on, um, and it was the right call in the end. And and actually, Danny Kelly took over field goals instead, who's now with the Ringer. Um, and then when Danny went there, Kenneth took it over, and now I think Mookie Alexander does it. So you know, there's been a, a few different people take over that that website and and with a podcast brandon who i know very well um just to jump in you've have you been on um field goals with brandon i've yeah. heard you, i've heard you before i've um i've listened to you on a podcast maybe last season i think it was so i've done a whole bunch of podcasts with brandon he does two podcasts he does the field goals and he does the um seahawkers podcast yeah. and um, not the last draft, the draft before the last one, we did a combined podcast every day. Um, we, we, during the draft period, we, last year, we, we did a whole bunch of podcasts together. When the Jamal Adams trade went down, we jumped on and did like an instant reaction podcast. Um, so I've done a, you know, I've bored Brandon to death with my views for, for a number of years. Go on, Matt. Go on, Matt. Sorry, there was one thing that uh, popped into my mind that I forgot to mention earlier. Um, it's not Seahawks related. It's uh, We're recording this on Sunday, so it's playoff related. Uh, which two teams out of the four left can you see making the Super Bowl? Just a so, thought. Just well, if, this, if, this, if this is going out after Sunday, then uh, what I'll say is all four teams and you can just edit the two that won and <laughs> yeah. into the answer and then, and then I can be right. I think That's that um, I think I, I I really really want the Bills yeah. to get through, and I quite like the Bills. I don't I, to win the whole thing because I, I think they're just a franchise. You know, it's that kind of they're a team that's not had a lot of success, and I like their fans. Um, so um, I hope the Bills win. Can the Bills beat the Chiefs? It's hard to say. I think if Mahomes was 100 percent healthy, I would say no. I still think the Chiefs will win. 
I think that they are they're in the, the process of building a, a bit of a dynasty there with Patrick Mahomes, who's going to go on to become the best ever quarterback that's ever played the game if he can stay healthy. Who will win the other one? I've got a, just got this little feeling that the Buccaneers might win. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I could just as easily see Aaron Rodgers yeah. putting up yeah, sure. 40 points against them. I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I just... There's just something where the books are playing right now, which is a kind of a complete game, defense, offense, running, running the get, running the ball, great weapons. They hammered the Packers earlier in the season, um, but it's also worth remembering in that game that Green Bay started out hot, and then Rodgers threw a pick six, and then he threw another interception. Well, it was the other way around, and the game got away from Green Bay very, very quickly. So if Green Bay can avoid doing that, they probably win. But um, if the books get up on top, the Packers are not a good team at chasing a score, mm-hmm. trying to get back in a game. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Brilliant, Rob. Absolutely. I think that brings it to a close, unless anyone's got any further questions. No, nope. nothing from me. No, brilliant. Listen, Rob, thanks very much for coming on with us today. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, like I say, you didn't have to take the time out to do this. So thanks very, very much. Hope everyone uh, who's listened to us this week has really enjoyed it as well as much as we have. Um, and enjoy the football this weekend. Sadly, no Seahawks, but we'll come again next year, hopefully with a, a very, very innovative offence with a new offensive coordinator and a, and a new look, Russell Wilson. So, yeah, once again, thanks, Rob. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Cheers, Cheers Rob. Mate. See you later. Let me know when it's live and I'll, uh, I'll give it a push on the blog. Oh, brilliant. Cheers. Thank on, you. Right. No bother. Thank you. Thanks, mate.